This is Christian Questions. Winston Churchill once said, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. Folks, we're truly glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this gorgeous Sunday morning. Good morning, Jonathan. What's going on, brother? Good morning, Rick. Our question for this morning is, the gay marriage law, how do we respond? So you want to get into a big deal already, huh? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And our theme text is found in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now that's an odd scripture for a program on the gay marriage law, isn't it? It is. And we'll get into why that scripture is our theme. But Jonathan, the bottom line is the world is changing. It's changing at an ever-quickening pace, and it's changing in a more dramatic and fundamental way than ever as well. Within the last few months, folks, you all know that the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in favor of gay marriage, changing the definition of a 6,000-year-old institution. Okay? So, what should we as Christians be doing now? Complain? Protest? Fight? Just accept it? What does the Bible really say about marriage, homosexuality, and our Christian responsibilities? So, Jonathan, it is a really loaded question this morning. It certainly is, Rick. And because it's such a loaded question, we have to do two things. First of all, folks, if you have Kids listening, you might want to be careful with that because we're going to get blunt about a few things here on this program this morning. So we're just giving you a little bit of a warning that this may not be a program that is necessarily fit for small children's ears. Uh, You can perhaps listen to it and then judge yourself as to how you want to deal with that. So we want to uh, let you know that right up front. And secondly, we had to bring in the big guns. Some help. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, our, our often guest, David Stein, here with us this morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. And uh, David, we usually have you on uh, in relation to prophetic topics and so forth. Right. This is not a prophetic topic. Quite different. Quite it, different. It, it is. And uh, you and I were talking about doing this particular program, and you had mentioned, you know, you know if I'd like to be there and, and, and work with you on this one. Yes, I think it's a, a very relevant topic, and there's a lot of erroneous things going on in the Christian community with respect to their reactions. I mean, you touched on some of them, so I think it's a very appropriate forum for us to discuss biblically what our reaction should be. So that's what this is, folks, this morning. This is a biblical look at gay marriage. It's a biblical look at Christian principles in regards to the world in which we live. Let's just get right into this thing. Let's go to a soundbite that sort of, you know, lays down the gauntlet, if you will, uh, in terms of where things are. This is Julia Bandera. She's a Fox News host um, uh, speaking about the gay marriage law passing. Julie uh, Banderas is that host. Here is what she said recently on Fox. 
I just want to say on Twitter, I asked my viewers if the GOP should continue its fight or if it should roll with the times because, folks, America has changed since we were children and since our parents, our fathers and mothers were babies. One person wrote me this. At Dehiba Heba writes me, American citizens should have a say in this matter and be allowed to vote on it. Let me, let me just say this. I'm a married woman. I have a married ring on my finger. I never asked anyone to, to vote whether or not I right to do this. I have a gay sister. She was the maid of honor at my wedding. I would love to be able to be at her wedding someday, and now I can. And there are so many others. One of my best friends here at Fox is a gay producer. He walked my mother down the aisle at my wedding. Now I get to be at hers. Who his? Who has the right to tell someone who loves another person, I don't care about their gender or their sex or the color of their skin, that they have the right to spend the rest of their life with somebody they love? Brad. Okay, so that's pretty strong. It sure is. It lays it out, and, and, and what we want to focus on throughout the program is that question. Who has the right to tell somebody they shouldn't do this or that if they love another person? So that's where we start. Now, to begin this difficult and emotionally charged discussion, we want to lay out some simple and basic biblical facts about what the Bible does not say. And, and Jonathan, this is going to be important because, uh, and, and for some of you folks, you might be surprised when we tell you, these are things that the Bible does not say, but you know how we approach things. We want to always use integrity and biblical truth, and we don't want to, 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 to uh, spin anything. We want to take it as it is. So there, there's four points here, and David, I'm going to ask us to just keep our comments short on these. And I know that's hard for you. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonathan, let's go. All right, the Bible does not say homosexuality as a physiological orientation is never discussed in the Bible, and natural gay orientation is not a scriptural concept. All right, so David, that's not in the Bible. No, that's, that's correct, and it it didn't need to be. There were certain things that were understood culturally and religiously, so the specifics of what we have today just didn't come up during those times. Okay, but natural gay orientation is not a scriptural concept. Uh, uh, concept. Point two, Jonathan. A loving gay relationship is never referenced in any of the scriptures that deals with sexual behavior. And again, David, that's true. It's never talking about a loving relationship. The Bible just talks about behavior. That's correct. Okay, number three. Jesus never spoke or taught directly about homosexuality. And for some, that might be a surprise. But the same thing. It was not an issue in his time. Jesus had very important issues and very important doctrines he had to teach the people. There was virtual unanimity on what the moral standard was in his time. And point number four. The Bible does not single out homosexuality as a sin above all sins. And, and David, that's another very important point. Homosexuality in Scripture is not singled out as, as this particularly heinous act. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, today's world is a political thing, so it's very, uh, very public now. There's a lot of discussion about it. There's a lot of movements about it. But when it's, it's talked about in the scriptures, it's usually listed with other sins, such as idolatry, right. adultery, other things like that. So it's not singled out as something special, but just some of those sins that God gave laws against. All right, so folks, you can tell by the tenor of our comments that we're saying, yes, there is, there is a sin component attached. Now, 
If we're getting you upset by saying that, I urge you to stay with us. If you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you whether you agree or disagree, and we promise to be respectful. We would ask you to be respectful at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, uh, if you have a smartphone, uh, get your free app, go to your app store, and type in Christian Questions. Okay, what do we know from Old Testament Scripture about what God defines as right and pure before him? Genesis two twenty three and 24. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And David... We have talked many, many times on this program about this particular scripture, about the the foundation of a definition for marriage in scripture. And this is God's definition. It is. The word marriage is not in here, but when it says they shall become one flesh, that is the definition of marriage. The the two coming together in in a way, in a unit... Uh, to be able to raise a family. God created the gender differences and whatnot, and he had all of this in mind in order for the benefit of that family and the benefit of that society in which that family is found. Okay, now we still have not mentioned, obviously, the idea of a gay uh, uh, loving relationship. How does that fit or does that fit? We're going to get to that, believe me, in great detail. Let's go to another soundbite, because, and folks, we're going to kind of sort of rush to put some things in place as as a as a uh, basis. This is actually from a 2007 documentary called For the Bible Tells Me So. This is a uh, a, a look at scripture and homosexuality and it is talking about looking at the scriptures from the standpoint that the 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 premise is the Bible does not condemn loving homosexual relationships. So let's listen to this. There are about six or seven verses in all of Scripture that speak to even remotely what we might call uh, homosexual activity or homosexual uh, conduct. In this particular one, it's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. It says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If you read the Bible on a face value level, that reading disregards several very important things. The first one is just a few verses before that. Moses teaches in Leviticus that it is an abomination to eat shrimp. A few verses above and below, it says you shouldn't plant two different seeds in the same hole. You shouldn't commingle your crops. It is an abomination to eat a rabbit. There's other law that says you shouldn't wear linen and wool together. They are failing to read the Bible within the context of its authors and of its original culture so there's a lot of a lot there david and i'm not gonna i'm gonna ask you to not respond yet okay Okay. we'll save that for the next segment but jonathan let's touch on some of the scriptures that they were talking about because they are they are right there are verses in leviticus that talk about abomination relation in relation to other things leviticus 11 verses 6 and then verses 10 through 12 and the hair because he cheweth the cud but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers, and all that move in the waters, and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. They shall be even an abomination unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh. Be ye have their carcasses in abomination. 
whatsoever hath no fins, no scales in the waters, then shall be an abomination unto you. Okay, so that was from Leviticus 11. Now let's go to Leviticus 19.19. This is another verse they were talking about, about God looking at, at things that we would say, what? And, and, and saying these aren't good. You shall keep my statutes. They shall not let your cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come unto thee. Now, it's interesting in that Leviticus 19 scripture, there's no abomination mentioned here. That's right. There's not even a penalty. It just says, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, now, remember in the soundbite, they said, you know, just a few verses before, you have the, you you can't eat rabbit and you can't eat shellfish. And Mm -hmm. then just a few verses after. Um, First of all, how many is a few verses? If you say, okay, something separated by a few verses, what would you mean? Five verses? Ten verses, okay. maybe twenty. All right. Okay. Well, you know that does work. The the Leviticus nineteen nineteen is very close to Leviticus eighteen twenty two and Leviticus twenty thirteen, which are two of the verses that are condemnatory. Mm-hmm. Let's just read those very quickly. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind; it is an abomination. And then Leviticus twenty thirteen. If a man also lie with Mankind, as he lieth with woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So, David, one of the things that, that the, the, the commentators mentioned in that documentary is that just a few verses separate the, uh, some of these things with those abominations of homosexual activity. It, and, and in one case, they're right. Leviticus 19.19 19 is in between those two. But that didn't mention abomination. I think it's interesting to note what they did say in that soundbite. They acknowledged what Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13 said. They didn't argue with it. Right. They said, yes, this is uh, a law against homosexuality. But, and this is how their reasoning is going, since the Bible also in the law says that there are other things that are no longer permitted that we wouldn't even think today about doing, like eating uh, 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 shellfish and, and things like that, rabbit, rabbit and whatever, Therefore, we shouldn't have to uh, follow this. Right. That, that's and, the thought. Right, and we're going we're gonna to develop that thought in the next segment. But the interesting thing is, in Leviticus 11, where it talks about eating those things as an abomination, it's 242 verses away from the Leviticus 18 verse. Wow. That's not a few. No. And, 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 you know, folks, what we want to do is deal with this subject with as much honesty and integrity as we possibly can. Here, to me, is the first issue. We have the scriptures. They are ancient, and they tell us things that if we are Christians, we are, are, are bound to, to, to follow. Now, there are certain things of the law that we don't follow because we're told not to, and there are certain things of the law morally that we're supposed to follow. What's the difference? How do we tell the difference? In relation to gay relationships, what are we supposed to do? Can we gloss over things, or do we have to truly examine them? Do we want the scriptural truth on the matter and understand how to apply it, or are we willing to just allow things to go because society has gone a different way? Those are some of the questions and the practicality that we're going to have to get into starting with this next segment. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest David Stein and our subject, the gay marriage law. How do we respond? Coming up, what does it mean when something is an abomination? Is it worse being clean or unclean? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions.
Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Stein, and our subject this morning, the gay marriage law, how do we respond? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL, or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And Central Time, we're on at 6 to 8. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And, and Jonathan, before we go any further, I just wanted to, 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 to put a personal experience on the table because in my own life, I've had a, a lot of experience dealing with the gay community. Uh, on Trisha, my, Trisha is my wife. On her side of our family, we have several members of our family uh, who are gay. And we have coexisted, if you will, very, very well and very nicely for a long time with most of those uh, that are members of the gay community. We, there, there have been issues of having conversations and trying to figure each other out and so forth. And what we found is a way to put our differences aside in the context of family and to really honestly and truly love and support one another. And I mean that, honestly and truly. It's not that, oh, I have to see those people again. It's, oh, we're getting together. That's good. You know, one of the family members was getting ready to move. We went over to their house and helped them with a whole bunch of stuff. It's what a family does. Having said that, there are some other members of the family that are much more on the sort of the militant side of the, the gay movement and have very decisively and somewhat harshly cut us off. So... We have experience. That's the point. We, we, we have experience with the gay community, and we don't look at the gay community as these foul individuals or those people or anything like that. Far from it, and I can testify to that from my personal life. Having said that, we have a very odd theme scripture with this program. It's, you know, just read it again. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, David, you and I discussed this. Why that theme scripture for this program? I think it's very important for uh, those of our listening audience to recognize what the Bible teaches regarding God's deliverance and salvation for all men. And that's why we use it, a ransom for all. The gay community will hear from some parts of the Christian community some awful condemnation, yes. awful judgment. And we want the listening folks to know that that is not what the Bible teaches. Yes, we subscribe to a very strong and strict moral code that we believe is biblical, but we're not judging those that don't measure up to that, call, that, that code. God has created a time in which everyone... And, that, and remember we said earlier that a homosexual is just one of many sinners, that all sinners will have an opportunity to learn the truth and to live as God wants them to live. And, you know, the other, the other part of that is everybody, everybody here is a sinner as well. Yes. Okay, so let's, let's not say, yeah. you know, yeah. it's them against us. It's, <laughs> exactly. We're all in the same boat, the boat of sin mm-hmm. and so forth. Okay, let's get back to some scriptural discussion for the first part of this segment, and then we want to get to some practical things. So we're going to go back to that documentary for The Bible Tells Me So, and just listen to their, they had mentioned abomination, and they're going to explain it a little bit further. When the term abomination is used in the Hebrew Bible, it is always used to address a ritual wrong. It never is used to refer to something innately immoral. Eating pork was not innately immoral for a Jew, but it was an abomination because it was a violation of a ritual requirement. Those biblical laws, they're known as the holiness code. There were laws that were supposed to help people at that time find holiness in their life. 
Okay, so so there's a couple of challenges with with that with that approach. It says that the word abomination is always used in terms of ritual law. Uh, that's not necessarily true. They talk about Leviticus as the holiness code, and yes, that is true. But what does that mean with everything that's in Leviticus? We need to break it out into the categories that Leviticus tells us it should be, should be broken out into. And so the first point here is in Leviticus chapter 11 where it talked about, you know, it's an abomination unto you to eat pork uh, or, or to eat rabbit or shellfish or things like that. This is, this is ritual cleanliness. Mm-hmm. This really truly is. And it's interesting because the word for abomination in Leviticus chapter 11 is kind of unique. Jonathan, what does it mean? To be filthy. Or filth. Or filth. There's yeah. two words used in Leviticus 11. It's used a few other places. Folks, CQ Rewind, the full edition, will have more information on those words. We're not going to get into it in great detail. But here's the thing. David, if we look at Leviticus 11, we notice how the application is in being, it says, and this shall be an abomination to you, the individual participating. Yes, God is telling them how they should consider it. He is trying to define a frame of mind for them in looking at these ritual laws. And it, so they are ritual. They are. This is no question. And this is about the eating of things and so forth and so on. But yeah, and this word that's rendered in King James and other translations as abomination is a very specific Hebrew word that means that. Yes. Okay. So Leviticus 18, though, where it talked about physical relationships, it's entirely different. First of all, that chapter is not about rituals. It's about ethics. Now... We just said, yes, it's all the holiness code. So what gives us the right to say, well, wait a minute, Leviticus 18 is just different than the rest. You know, you know the, old, the, old, the old kid song, for the Bible tells me so. Sure. Well, the Bible tells us so. <laughs> Let's look at Leviticus 18, the verses 1 through 4. It's a very unique beginning of any chapter in the, in the book of Leviticus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, ye shall not do. And after the the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. So this is more about the... The, the moral behavior. We can see the difference in, with Leviticus 18, not only in its beginning, but it's in unique ending. Now, the ending actually starts in verse 24. We're going to start in verses uh, 29 and 30, just for time's sake. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls of that commit them shall be cut off from among the people. Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinances, that ye commit not any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. So there's a difference in its content. Leviticus 18 is all about moral propriety and sexual conduct, where Leviticus 11 is about food that God is proclaiming clean or unclean. And the word for abomination is a different word. And folks, you got to realize that. Jonathan, what does that word mean? Something disgusting, an abhorrence, especially idolatry. So, so David, we've got the difference between filthy and something disgusting. Yes, when you compare these two chapters in Leviticus, you see that there's a difference in the context that you already mentioned. There's a difference in the word used in the mm-hmm. Hebrew. Now, the English translations don't reflect that. Just one word. So reading it, you think it's the same thing. But in the Hebrew, it's not. And notice there's a difference in the penalty involved. In the case of the ritual violations, often there's no penalty involved at all. 
But where moral and behavior uh, is concerned, there is a different penalty. Right. And in, in some cases, you shall be cut off from among people. And even in some cases, it's death. So, so that's an important distinction between the two. Okay, real quick. Yeah. And also notice that this abomination you commit... So mm-hmm. it's a behavior. The other way, uh, abomination is how your perspective should be changed to align with God. You know, and let me, let me give a quick analogy, the difference between filthy and disgusting. Okay, your kid goes out and plays in the mud. They come in and they're filthy. And what do you need to do? Wash, wash them. Wash them, yep. Okay, your kid goes out and plays in the mud, but, but takes the neighbor's kid and, 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 and beats him up in the mud. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. That's different. There's much more of a penalty. You still have to clean them up, but there's a there's been something violated along the way as well. And I think that's the kind of difference we're looking at. Now, another difference between the two chapters, between eating those things, which shouldn't have been eating because the Lord said they were not clean, and the moral behavior is that we have scriptural proof that eating those things which were unclean is no longer an issue for Christians. And the Bible tells us so. Where? Acts chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. This is Peter's vision of the unclean animals. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. So what was God was proclaiming as filthy in Leviticus 11 in Acts chapter 10, David, God says, no, that's clean. I have said that is now clean. So, no more problem. That's right. It, w- when we are doing the interpretation of what part of the moral, dietary, ritual, and civil law should apply, we go to the New Testament to see what they apply it, how they apply it. And see, folks, understand how important that is. If you want to know the truth of Scripture, you take the foundation of the Old Testament, you look at it through the filter of the New Testament, and if you're a Christian, you take that filter and say, okay, I don't have to worry about this part because the New Testament told me, not Jonathan and Rick and David, the New Testament told me I don't have to worry about that. But what about the moral part? What happened in the New Testament with the moral part? Well, sexual and moral guidelines of the law were held up in the New Testament. Jonathan, 1 Corinthians six eighteen and 19. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. So the bottom line is the New Testament cancels the rituals and upholds the morality of the law. So that is how we need to understand Scripture. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. The conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and tweet us at CQNetRadio. All right, so David, we've established something scripturally here, and we're going to go through each segment. We're going to establish some scriptural things, and then we're going to look at the practical things. So we've got a few minutes left in this segment. What about the practicality? In the original soundbite, you know, the, the, the Fox News host said something about, you know, we have no right to, to uh, deny somebody the fulfillment of a love-based relationship. Let's just talk for a few minutes about marriage as defined in Scripture, what it's based on, and how it works, and so forth. Yeah. If I can refer to that very first soundbite yes. again, if you can frame 
a debate or an argument in a certain way, then you can control it. And that's what that reporter was doing. In the They wanted to frame the, the argument in the context of, of loving relationships. Now, loving relationships are good. Absolutely. Okay. So, and, and we're not... So, it sounds like you're saying, okay, they're framing it with loving relationships, but bam, <laughs> I'm going to hit you now. Well, there, there is a, a blurring of lines between a loving relationships, with, with every Christian would say, right... Uh, and behavior that God has condemned, or behavior that God... You know, we might think of morality as God's laws in order to make life for everybody enjoyable, pleasurable, and to make it work. When you come down to what works in any civilization, it's the family. So we can ask ourselves, why did God make the moral laws in the first place? Why didn't he just let, let everything go? Well, the reason was that if you let everything go, it is destructive. It is destructive first to individuals, secondly to a family, and finally to a society in which that family is embedded. And the interesting thing about marriage in Scripture is it's, and here's a newsflash, and this might be a shock, but it is not based on love. Marriage in Scripture is not based on love, romantic love as we talk about it today. What's it based on? Commitment. Right. What's the difference between basing marriage on love versus basing marriage on commitment? And, and David, a real, real quick answer on that. Well, you know, when you look at some of the early marriages that took place in Scripture, they were arranged, like with Isaac yes. and Rebecca. You know, uh, it, it was an arranged marriage. There wasn't love at first sight. Well, actually, there was love at first yeah. sight. But that wasn't the basis for, the, for what was to be that marriage. It was a commitment that was made. And, you know, going back in history, I, I'm sure that there was more emphasis placed, certainly scripturally, but even in, in our civilizations, Western civilization, on the commitment. You know, I know when my mother and father and my grandmother and grandfather, the commitment was the most important thing, taking care of the wife, taking care of the children. Love was secondary. Now, as you said, it's reversed today, that if you don't have nice feelings with your mate anymore, we'll go out and get a divorce. There's right, no commitment right. anymore. Okay, so, but having said that, you, one can argue, and, and the argument is, is out there that, well, look, the gay community can have that same kind of commitment and that same kind of love, so why... Would you think about saying, well, but that's, that kind is not allowable. It, it sounds, and, and, and we're going to get into this in great detail later on the program, but it sounds homophobic. It sounds like you're saying, those people are not allowed to do what we do. And, and one of the things that we need to understand, David, is God's laws, as we see them defined in Scripture for Christians, um, in the world in which we live, this is not a world that God has his hand on firmly, correct? Uh, that's right. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 indicates who's in charge of this world. And it's not God, it's Satan. Yeah. So when we look at that, and we look at the world around us, and we see Satan's influence, we realize that under Satan's influence, there is a lot of other things going on that we have to look at and say it's not yet time for God's rule to be in place. Yeah, and I think it's very important uh, for our listening audience. Rick and Jonathan and, and me, we are not telling anybody how they should live and how they shouldn't live, what they should do and what they should do. And that's what you just, I'm going to interrupt you, folks, because that is such an important thing. The, the object of this program is not to point fingers. It's to simply say, here's what scriptures say. If you're a dedicated Christian, here's what we are obligated to stand up for. Having said that, we realize the world around us doesn't agree with that. And we're not here to say, well, we can't tell them how to act, what to do, what to think, what not to think. We can just be a reflection 
of what we believe is scriptural truth. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, the gay marriage law, how do we respond? Coming up, what does it mean when something is an abomination? Is it worse than being clean or unclean? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest David Stein and our subject this morning, the gay marriage law. How do we respond? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, just about messaging us on your app, we did just get a message in from a, a listener. that says, you know, um, you know, good discussion on, on this particular subject. Sent us a blog that's just too lengthy to, to read, but we appreciate uh, hearing uh, from David uh, out there uh, listening to the program this morning. Jonathan, we have a call online. Uh, let's get to that call now. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good morning, Carolyn, welcome Hi. to Christian Questions. Hi, how are you? I love your show. Thank you. Um, when this came out, I was sitting at church, and two Sundays in a row, my priest, all he talked about was this, the ruling on the Supreme Court, how wrong it was that they don't care if they get fined. They don't care if they have to ta- be taxed now. And it's e- they're evil, you know, it's evil what they're doing, and they're not going to abide. And for two Sundays in a row, and I had to hear that, people walked out, people refused to come back. And I found that so appalling that God loves everybody. You know, uh, please don't put politics into the church because God loves everybody. And to say they're not going to follow these rules if a couple wants to get married in a Catholic church, that's wrong. They're good people. They're good people like anybody else, you know. And I thought, you know, I wanted to say this one that came up. I'm glad you brought the subject up this Sunday. All right, Carol, thanks so much. We appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. You, you know, now, now Carol brings up an important point. You know, she says they're good people. And I agree. I have personal experience with family members, and yes, as a matter of fact, the the, the family members you know uh, in in my family uh, that are are gay are some of the best people I I know. They really are in terms of being wonderful human beings. They are the best, some of the best people I know, and I am proud of that. Having said that, what we've got a little bit of a dilemma when we look at this whole situation because we need to be able to deal with the practicality of scriptural teaching. So. We're not going to comment on Carol yet. Okay, we're going to hang on to that. I know David's all ready to go. But I'm going to ask you to hold your your thoughts because we need to get into some more scriptural basis before we go back to that. Jonathan, the next scripture is Romans 1, 26 and 27. This is one of the most often quoted scriptures in the debate on homosexuality and the Bible. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men, with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
Okay, so that's the scripture. What's the true meaning? It's talking about natural and unnatural. Let's go back to the documentary for The Bible Tells Me So from 2007, and they have a different perspective on the scriptures than we do. Let's hear how they explain these verses. It seems to me the clear meaning of that is that whatever the other stuff in the Old Testament, one thing that carries over as an enduring thing is that God disapproves of same-sex genital intimacy. He does not want men lying with men and women lying with women, denying the natural use. When Paul uses the term natural or unnatural, he's really meaning what is customary or uncustomary. It wasn't customary for men to have sex with men in the Jewish context, but he saw it in the Greek world. And so he saw that as evidence of worshiping the wrong God of idolatry. His reference, of course, is to exploitive same-sex relationships uh, among pagan Romans and Greeks. Paul certainly never contemplated the kind of monogamous, long-term relationships that are very much normal among homosexual people today. Okay, um, so, so there's the take on the Romans 1 scripture that says, customary, not natural. Is that what the scriptures are actually teaching? We're going to run through uh, two or three minutes of scriptural response on that. To find a clear scriptural answer, we need to establish the context. Because they're talking about, well, this is a, a cultural matter and a cultural issue back in the time when Paul wrote the book of Romans. Is that the case? Let's look at the context, Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So there's a broad picture of unrighteousness. It doesn't sound like it's being narrowed down to here, right here, right now, we've got this one issue. That's correct. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So, David, it's all in righteousness, all men, not only then, but he's talking about the history of humanity here, right? That's correct. So it's, it's a broad perspective. Okay, now let's go a little further with the context. Romans 1, 21 to 23. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful and became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So again, David, that's idolatry which had existed through all of history. Yes. Okay, so it's a very simple, straightforward condemnation of history, not customs of that moment. That's what this verse is really talking about. And what follows is a sweeping indictment of all through history having been outside of God's favor. Paul is labeling what we do or what we think that is not ultimately in praise of God as idolatry. Romans 1, 24 and 25 now, Jonathan. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. So now you have the, 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 uh, the, the sense of the sanctity and honor of sex within marriage of scripture uh, that is, is being defiled here, changing the truth of God into a lie, worshipping the created. That is the ultimate level of idolatry. So, uh, let, let's go back to the sanctity and honor of, of marriage and sex and all of that. Jesus, 
verifies what Genesis said in Matthew 19, 4-6. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and thy twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder." And, Jonathan, let's just add one other scripture to that before we, we, we do a little discussing, then we go to the phones. Hebrews thirteen four. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So, David, several things here. Um, in Romans chapter 1, those verses really are talking about history, not the moment in time that Romans was written. That, that's absolutely correct. When when the uh, speaker there in that soundbite used the term customary or yes. uncustomary, um, he was doing something not not uh, legitimate in Scripture. In the next segment, we're going to talk about that word a little bit more. But that was interpretation. Now, there's yes. nothing worth interpretation, but you have to go back and find out what things really mean. He did not do that in this case. He threw out the meeting that has been the customary meeting and replaced it with the customary uh, thought. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and folks, look, in the second hour, the first segment of the second hour, we're going to discuss exactly that. So if we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live. Stay with us for that. That's really, really important. But the bottom line here, before we go to the phones, is that what the scriptures are saying, and, and folks, this will probably get a whole lot more of you mad, but here it goes. <laughs> what the scripture is saying is that all sex, all sex outside of marriage, marriage is defined by scripture, is a form of idolatry and is not acceptable before God. So, Rick, living together before you're married is not acceptable? Not before God, not according to scriptural principle. So, by that thought, what we should be doing, if you're going to get all up in arms about, uh, about the gay community, by right you should be exactly up in arms exactly the same way about the heterosexual community and their, and their, and their, their absolute misuse and dishonor of, of sex. There you have it. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right, well, we have John from Missouri. Good morning, John, and welcome to Christian Questions. Hi. Very detailed. I, I like uh, uh, all-encompassing <laughs> study. Well, um, you came to the right place. Right. I don't know if I agree with it all yet. But that's okay. I'm still, I'm still listening. Good. Uh, uh, apparently, God allowed a man and a woman to get married, and he predicted they will. And yes. he was right. Man and woman do get married. Uh and apparently there's nothing that says they can't get married, a man and a man and a woman and a woman. It's about sex, apparently. So what if a man marries a man, but they never have sex, or a woman marries a woman, but they never have sex? Because there's many, many heterosexuals that get married that never have sex. So, yeah, what if a man marries a man and they never have sex, any form of sex, and a, and a, man, a woman marries a woman and they never have sex? Would that be allowed by God? Okay, now that's an interesting question. It's not one I would have thought of. So, so John, Thank thanks so much for spraining my brain. <laughs> Appreciate that uh, that question. So, David, he's he's bringing up a very sort of unique perspective on the matter. Just see if we can give a, a quick answer, and we can develop it as the program goes as well. I think that the idea of a marriage contract uh, is was put in place by God in order to safeguard the family and safeguard the children, protect the integrity of the family. Now, once you have that contract, you know, if a husband and wife 
choose to live a platonic relationship, that's fine. There's nothing in Scripture that's uh, that's wrong with that. But that contract really is what uh, the, the legal basis from God's standpoint for the sexual relations between a husband and wife. If you don't have that contract, going back to every, everything outside is idolatry, then you are doing something not authorized by God. Real quick, just a couple of points. When you violate the marriage contract under the law, the Mosaic law, the penalty was death. Violating that contract was considered a very severe and, and terrible thing to do. However, and we won't have time to go into it, but I'll throw a scripture out there for the audience. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29, has a situation where an unmarried man, unmarried woman, not engaged, are found in a sexual relationship. The penalty in that case was not death, but rather, get a contract. Yes. You did this. This is okay under contract, but not without a contract. So God is saying, in essence, that I want to protect children and offspring that can come out of that. And so the contract is required. Now, going back to the question of the caller, the contract and the sexual behavior and whatnot are are, are kind of two different things. I don't know if I maybe answered a little bit of his question. Yeah, and, and you know, when you look at a, a, a contract, it is a covenant before God to cleave one to another. And with that covenant, my understanding of that would be, David, that it, it would not be legitimate to, to create that covenant before God. Because when you do a, make a covenant, you are making a solemn promise and calling God in as a witness. This is not the kind of solemn promise that God sanctioned. You know, you could, you could promise to, to steal somebody's goods and give them all to the poor. And you can make that promise before God and say, I'm going to do good with this stuff that I've stolen. God is not going to look at that and say, okay, go ahead. You've got good intentions. He's going to look at that and say, you're stealing. Thou shalt not steal. No. So I think that, you know, and that's almost like it's a splitting of hairs, but it's a good question. I appreciate John's question very, very much. Um, We we need to to put things in in that kind of perspective. But, David, we're out of time for this segment. Really, the bottom line is that as we look at the gay community, and look, in my own personal experience, I've had other experiences. One, I'll get into in the second hour, but with with a Christian brother who came to me and said, hey, Rick, you know, being gay is not condemned in Scripture. And this was one of my very, very, very best friends. What did we do? Well, in the second hour, we'll talk about that further. The bottom line here is the scriptures are clear about sexual behavior. Why is sex important in scripture? Folks, there's an important answer for that. Stay with us for the second hour. We'll get to that too. For Jonathan and Rick and David and Christian Questions, the gay marriage law, how to respond, how do we in a Christ-like manner stand up for what we believe is scriptural truth. We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, think about it. is Christian Questions. Daniel Goleman once said, True compassion means not only feeling another's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. 
This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got a really important and difficult subject on the table this morning. We really do, Rick. And our question this morning is, the gay marriage law, how do we respond? And our theme text is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we have with us special guest David Stein. Good morning, David. Welcome back. Good morning. Great to be here. And uh, as we go through this, uh, David, we're talking about you know putting this whole thing in perspective. And in the first hour, very quickly, we looked at scriptural precedent for marriage. And it's a very obvious precedent. What is it? That sexual relations is only permitted within the marriage contract, the marriage arrangement. And that, <laughs> that can be very, very, uh, that, that, that's a very narrow application in the world in which we live. Incredibly narrow. And we also looked at the fact that, that Jesus doesn't talk directly about loving gay relationships. We no, looked, he doesn't. We looked at the fact that, that the scriptures don't, don't condemn loving gay relationships per se. The scriptures are about putting behavior in order. That's what it really comes down to, and we're going through several scriptures that are, are debated within the Christian community as to what they mean in regards to homosexuality and so forth. And we've been focusing on Romans 1, uh, 20, uh, 26, 20, 25 and 26, and we're going to get to that, back to that in, 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 another, in another second. Is there anything else you want to recap from the first hour quickly? Uh, a lot, but not, <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, Jonathan, before we get back to this, particular scripture and defining natural in Romans 1 uh, 26 uh, just another personal experience of my own I mentioned at the very end of the first hour uh, in, several years ago I had a, a, a Christian friend very 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 good friend of mine who uh, we, we shared a lot in fellowship for many 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 years and he came to me one day and said Rick I'm gay and so we 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 worked through that we worked with that and we we're, we're, we're brothers in Christ together with that. And then several years later, he came and said, uh, Rick, uh, you know, I don't think the scriptures condemn homosexuality. And I said, really? And I said, well, how do you, how do you know? He says, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of material out there to prove it. And I said to him at that point, I said, okay, here's what, here, here's what it will do. Show me the material. And I promise you, that I will read it, and if it's correct, and if it's scripturally sound, I will stand next to you on this. So he gathered the material, and he gave it to me. And Jonathan, I, I struggled with that, because honestly, and folks, I am being as brutally honest as I possibly can, I didn't want it to be true. I'm, I'm being but, honest. But you had an open mind. Well, it took me months before I could open up the book that he gave me. Oh, he wow. gave me some books. Because I didn't, I wasn't ready to be open-minded, even though I said I was. Mm -hmm. It took me months to get to the point where saying, look, if this is God's way, I need to know. And to be able to accept it before I began to read. So I did an in-depth study based on that. There were holes in the argument at that point in time. I went back to my brother, whom I loved dearly, and I said, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And he didn't have any answers. And he eventually walked away. And it broke my heart. It truly broke my heart because I loved him as a brother in Christ and wanted to work and encourage and build him up in Christ. So, again, it's another personal experience that, that makes this subject very important to me personally. What, does the scripture, what do the scriptures teach and how do we deal with them? And Rick, a question for you. 
if he ever came back in your life and said, I need you to do something for me, would you lay your life down for him? Absolutely. Positively. I love the man. You know, so, yes, you know, it's not about those people, for crying out loud. It's about human beings that have a a different perspective, and how do we treat them in a Christ-like fashion? Let's get back to the, um, what's that? I can't read your writing, Jonathan. Define the role (laughs) that sex plays. You wanted to bring out. Okay. Um, Yeah. Wow, we're going to have a tough time this segment, I can tell. David, very quickly, you know, we we made a statement about, you know, sex is, is, is reserved for the marriage covenant. Why? What sex does between a husband and wife, especially in the youthful part of, uh, of a marriage arrangement, when you're young and you're full of hormones and things like that, uh, it cements a relationship. It's a strong adhesive, and it bonds two fragile souls together. And that kind of explains the, the, the severe heartbreak that happens when people that have engaged in sexual intercourse outside of marriage break up. It's devastating yeah, to them because that, that physiological merging of two bodies. And remember, God made this. Yeah. Sex is not dirty. It can, it can become dirty when it's perverted and used in a way that God doesn't intend. But at its very base, it, it's holy. And it is one of those things that re- unites two souls together in matrimony. Very well said. Let's let's go back to that documentary. Thanks, David, for for the Bible tells me so. And, and again, they're basically saying the Bible really is not doing anything to to cut off gay relationships. The Bible really doesn't deal with homosexuality because it has no concept of it. There were no Greek words, no Aramaic words, no Hebrew words for these concepts of human sexuality. And therefore, the few references that have been lifted out of the Bible to be used in religious teachings to condemn homosexuality really are inappropriate. All right, so he's saying that the Bible has no concept of homosexuality. It has a concept of sexual behavior. And not only a concept, but a very clear statement of sexual behavior. And there's a difference. God is not trying to, to look at somebody who's wired one way or another and say, oh, that's a bad person. He's looking at the behavior. So let's just let, let let's look at the scriptural reasoning in Romans one twenty six and twenty seven because remember in the last segment they said you know it's things that are not customary. Well, let's read it from the the New American Standard. It talks about things that are natural or unnatural. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So what does the Apostle Paul by mean by natural and unnatural? First of all, Jonathan, let's run through definitions. The word for natural means what? Uh, by implication, instinctive. The word, it says natural function. The word for function means? Employment. The word for unnatural? Growth by germination or expansion. And the word for desire? extreme uh, excitement of mind, longing after. Okay, and we went through those definitions quickly. Folks, seek your rewind, the full edition. Subscribe if you don't subscribe. Get all of this stuff on paper so you can really look at it. So by raw definitions here, the words uh, of the words, it looks like there's far more meant here than something just customary. Just by definition of the words, and by the context, we know the Apostle Paul is addressing a world history of godlessness. So we believe that Paul is using natural, quote-unquote, to mean the natural that God intended and designated. The sacred sexual expression, like David, like you said earlier, between married men and married women. 
That's where sex belongs according to God's way. This definition of natural and not customary is further proven by Paul himself because he uses the exact same word in the very next chapter of Romans and also in chapter 11. And folks, let me give you a hint in terms of scriptural study. If you want to understand something, you look at the words, you look at the context in which they're used because often the writer will define what he means by a word by not only the one way he uses it in that one verse, but by the several way he uses it in several verses. Romans chapter 2, verse 14, Paul uses the exact same word, natural. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. So, do by nature. David, what he's saying is, what? It's, it's not their custom, per se. It's what they do naturally it's by virtue of their makeup and their, their, their psychology. Yep. It's talking about their instinct. They, don't, they haven't been given the law, but instinctively there are things they know are right and wrong. Romans 2.27. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and uncircumcision does transgress the law. So uncircumcision obviously is natural. It's the way that men come into the world. That's right. It's, there's nothing customary about that. It is natural. It's always the way. So you can see in Romans chapter 2, that word is not used to say something that's customary for the moment. It's used in a way that describes something that just is. Further, it is proven in Romans 11, chapter 11. There's other uses, but we won't, don't have time. Romans 11, 24. For if thou wert cut off, the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So, David, when you talk about natural branches of a tree, they, they don't grow there because it's customary. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they grow there because that's the way the tree works. So when the Apostle Paul, in Romans 1, talks about the natural function, it has nothing to do with customs. No, that, that, you know, you hate to be too judgmental of uh, those that see things otherwise, but this is spin. It's taking uh, a clearly stated statement in Scripture and saying, well, what it really means is this. That's interpretive. Now, you mentioned the best way to look at how words, or what words mean to see how they're used elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, we, have, we have hundreds of years of Bible writers that have done just that, that, that thing. Uh, on this program, you use Strong's Concordance yes. all the time. Yeah. Well, Strong's is, is uh, there's no um, arguments about what's strong because he put it together in in consonance with a lot of other people that define things. So when somebody comes up and says, "Well, it doesn't really mean that," it's purely an interpretation. Yeah, folks, if you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five four all. We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine Eastern and six to eight Central, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So, David, in the last, in the last few minutes of this segment, um, we'll, we'll leave that, that scriptural discussion and argument right there because I think it, it speaks for itself. Let, let's talk about the family. Let's talk about the idea of the nuclear family and how that all fits together and why is it such an important thing and is it wrong for, for gay people who love each other to, to, to have a family. I mean, can we say that? Let's go with that. What we can say is from a scriptural standpoint, it's not the model that God laid out. God laid out the model, you use the term nuclear family, of a mother and a father, husband and wife. 
two role models now that would be available for the children as they grow up to see what type of behavior, what type of activities, what type of love that should exist within the family should be about. Okay, now just let me interrupt you real quickly because now if you take the, uh, the, the concept of sex, the adhesive that binds these two fragile souls together, it's out of that that produces the children. Yeah, that's the natural way of things. I mean, sex is designed by God primarily for the producing of children. The fact that it's pleasurable and it's a wonderful thing, you know, that, that's a benefit to the husband and wife. But the whole purpose of it is to produce children. And a husband and wife, they fit together. Everything is natural. It works perfectly. And so that's the model that God has. Now, if we start saying, well, let's try this model and let's try that model, uh, you, you may or may not have success in it, but it's not the God model. It's not the model that was intended to be a blessing to the family. And, you know, there, there, there's, there's studies all over the place about the children out of, out of uh, gay relationships and are they healthier or not healthier. And you can't get into studies at this point because you don't, we don't have enough history, first of all. Okay? But there's an interesting letter and we're just going to reference it at this point, written by a woman who is a daughter of a gay relationship in the 80s and the 90s. And she talks about um, her own experience as a heterosexual mother watching her children interact with their father. And she says something, because she was in the marches, she was all for gay She had two moms, okay? And her point is, our children are hurting because we are not giving them the opportunity for a father and a mother. We're, we're, we are denying them that opportunity. I believe every child has two rights. One is the right to be born. And the second right is to have a mother and a father because that's where they came from. So it's interesting. We'll have that in Seeker Rewind, the full edition, because, again, there's a lot to say and not a lot of time to say it here. But uh, it just gives us a sense that the nuclear family, the father and the mother and the children is a design, and it is very obviously a design. It's obviously been the way children have come into the world, you know, since the human history began. So we have that as a basis. Now, does that say that anybody who steps outside of that is evil and dark and, and nasty? David, just like three seconds. No, no, not at all. <laughs> in, in fact, this woman that wrote the letter, and I recommend it in CQ Rewind, she came from that environment. She obviously was a good person. Yeah. She yeah, did all right, right. But she saw she missed something right. in this new relationship. So, folks, it's about understanding God's way in relation to the ways of the world and seeing what's the difference. Now, what about if you're a Christian? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Stein. Our subject, the gay marriage law. How do we respond? Coming up. Is the Christian community homophobic? Is the gay community Christianophobic? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest David Stein and our subject, The Gay Marriage Law, How Do We Respond? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now and our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And uh, we are now going to go a little bit further in, in Scripture and begin to address 
one of the big questions, is the Christian community, community homophobic? And we added a second question to that, Jonathan, you mentioned at the end of the last segment. That's right. Is the gay community Christian-ophobic? And because if it fits on one foot, it's going to fit on the other foot. And that's the same with everything. So let, let's use that as a backdrop. Let's go back to that documentary for The Bible Tells Me So because they're talking about homophobia and the danger of homophobia. And, and this, is, this is valuable. The consequence of homophobia is to stereotype gay people and then to define them in negative ways. And once we do that, we're able to treat them negatively and brutally. Fear does terrible things to a society. When people are afraid, they have to find scapegoats. And then they want to get rid of those people who are the bad guys. See? cheapest way of getting the feeling that we're a, a group, a family, a, a something, is to make an other. And it's throughout history with all different groups, civil rights with the blacks and anti-Semitism with Jews, to have an other. And homosexuals, unfortunately, are the new other. Now, there, there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, I don't believe that homosexuals are the new other, first of all. I think that there is homophobia, and I think it is a dastardly and nasty and terribly destructive way of looking at things. Uh, and I think it needs to be stopped firmly and, 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 and quickly and decisively. Having said that, what do we, what, what's our responsibility as Christians? True Christians are not afraid of homosexuals. We right. don't fear homosexuals. And neither do we get into condemnation of the individuals involved. We're speaking only about the Bible standard of moral behavior. And we must, in order to be faithful to it, let our light shine on that. Okay. Folks, again, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to sign up uh, for your free app for your smartphone. And if you want to message us on the app, we'll see if we can get your comments on the, on the air. There's one last set of scriptures that, that have been interpreted in, in several ways in the debate about the scriptures and homosexuality. Jonathan, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So this is a long list of morally decayed behaviors. It's one of very broad strokes. Now while some may argue about the meanings of some of the words, the intent of this list is very clear. Here's the intent. Our actions can keep us out of the kingdom of God. It doesn't say anything about our orientations. It You're says right. our actions mm -hmm. can keep us out of, the, uh, out of the kingdom of God. Paul in no way deals with anyone's orientation about anything here. So, so four quick points on this, Jonathan. Many categories of things to keep us out of the kingdom. There's a lot of, a lot of categories here. You know, thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortions, extortioners. You, know, you can't forget those. You're right. And Rick, some true Christians had previously done these things. All right. What happened? Well, they stopped. They were forgiven, they were washed, they were sanctified, and now are faithful. And the next point, Jonathan, is really important. There is a double standard present here. 
higher living for those called to spirituality. And, and David, that's what we were talking about earlier in the program. You know, you, you keep saying we're here to present a scriptural perspective, but we're not here to point fingers and say, you there, I don't care what you believe, you have to live this way. Yeah, I think that there's the thought that is often found in some Christian circles with this scripture that because you behave this way, you're not going to inherit the the kingdom of God. We choose to interpret this perhaps a little bit more narrowly, that those that inherit the kingdom will be the kings of the kingdom. And that's Christians who are following the footsteps of Jesus now. Remember our theme text for the, for this uh, whole program, that God had Jesus come to earth to give himself a ransom for all. So there will be opportunity for all the sinners of the world to experience the love of God and to find out what the model for living is all about. But for those that are following Christ, you're not going to inherit that position as a king unless you are obedient to you God's moral act law. accordingly. Yep. And, and and you know, Jonathan, we we have gotten away from this, but early on in the program, we used to always talk about male. Mm-hmm. You know, you know mm-hmm. the, the 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 New Testament is written to footstep followers of Christ. The New Testament is written to those who will deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. Sacrifice, right? Their lives. So, if you are not in that category, and you're reading the New Testament, you're reading somebody else's mail. And that means you're reading something that's directed to them for their personal behavior. You can draw principles from it, but it all, of necessity, does not apply to you. Correct. So we need to understand that that's the, the, the purpose of the New Testament. So, so David, in this, this, this verse, there's a couple of words, effeminate and then the, 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 the phrase abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, effeminate is a catamite, and, and I think there's a, a pretty general consensus. It means a boy or a youth who's in a sexual relationship with a man. And look, we look at that and say, no, that's, that is morally unacceptable. And that, that happened then. It happens now. It's not, it wasn't just a, a thing that happened in the temples of, of idolatry. It's part of society. Yeah, that's right. That, that word there comes from the one Greek word meaning male and the other one meaning sexual intercourse, that koites. I mean, we, we even have a very similar word. But, actually, that's word. A, the next word. Ah, okay. Because oh, the first one was catamite. The next one is, is abusers themselves with mankind. Yes. Okay. And, and that word, you're right. Say, say that again. The, the two parts of it is male and sexual intercourse. So it is talking about specifically homosexual behavior. And again, we have those that want to spin this into something else that it's not. But you Something go, mer- merely cultural at that moment. That's right, or customary, or, right. or as we saw earlier. But you go back to the meaning of the word, you can't escape it. It is what it's talking about. Right. And and again, folks, are we pointing fingers here and saying this person, oh, you're condemned and you're not? No. Remember, David said earlier that we believe that there's two aspects of salvation. There's an aspect for those who will inherit the kingdom that the New Testament is written to, who will be kings and priests according to the words of the New Testament to bless all of the, the families of the earth. That's what these are written to. So there's a higher standard if you're going to follow Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 is another verse that, is, that comes into question in this, in this whole discussion. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for manstealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So, David, this is just another list, another long list of things that you should not do. 
don't do these things. You are you are taking your your Christian commitment and you are violating your Christian commitment by doing all of these things or any of these things. God wants holy people, and He defines what holy is. So right. this is defined, or this is rather uh, designated specifically to those that are following the footsteps of Jesus. And we live in a time right now where the idea of this higher level, this higher standard, is really frowned upon. And we live in a time where, as a matter of fact, lower standards are, are, are embraced. Do you know that there are 58 different listed sexual orient- ways to describe your sexual orientation? It used to be you were a man or a woman. Well, no, those are, those are not even part of the list any longer. There's 58 different ways to describe it. What does that tell you? It tells you we've gotten into a world where the choice of what you want to do overrides actually what we are. And, and that's a dangerous place for us to go, especially if you're a Christian. God has standards, and when you get away from the standards, you get into this, uh, this, this uh, very d- diffused type of behavior. What's right and what's wrong depends upon what you think about it, not what God thinks about it. But I think it's good at this point to say that uh, while we are not homophobic, we're not uh, afraid of the homosexual community and whatnot, it is good to note that as true Christians, we don't want to get involved in the politics. You know, that list that you mentioned, that's out there for political reasons. Yes. There's all kinds of things going in the politics. That's the world. Let them have those battles. We want to have peace with all men, and we want to let our light shine as best we can. And you also get into the slippery slope, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but the slippery slope of is, okay, if this now becomes pure and acceptable, what's next, and then what's next, and what's next? And, and there's something to be said for that. Right now, though, let's go to a soundbite. Um, this is from Ravi Zacharias, who is a, 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 a Christian individual, and he was being questioned about, um, about being a Christian and being gay. He gives a wonderful example of what Christianity means and what it is we need to be striving for. Let's go. For it. And somebody may say, well, you know, you don't know what it is like then to have that disposition. No, I've talked to people who do. One of the greatest saints of recent memory was Henry Nouwen. And some years ago, he went to um, St. Petersburg in, in Russia, and, uh, and there he went into the, um, the, the, the famed Hermitage Museum, and he saw the painting of Rembrandt on the return of the prodigal son. It changed his life. He came back to Harvard, resigned his position, went and worked with the mentally retarded in Toronto. He disclosed in his closing book there that he was dispositionally a homosexual, but never fulfilled that for the sake of Christ. And I have read many authors who say that, so I say to the one who has that disposition, yes, it has to be tough. It has to be tough. But sometimes we renounce our dispositions for the sake of Christ and just wait and hope and trust for the possibility that he would give us that resistance. And that is a, a beautiful. It is. It's beautiful. It's. It's in some ways. It's a hard statement, because it's saying that for the sake of Christ, you have to leave some things behind. And people look at that and say, "Well, why do you have to leave that thing behind?" And I think the best answer to that is, we all have to leave much behind. We do. Rick. We, we do. If you're gonna follow Christ, that's the cost. Christianity is all about self-denial. Rick. Well, that's what it's supposed to be about. What we have made it to be about is, what about me? 
Right. What about giving me what I want, you know, so I can glorify God? No, 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 no. Christianity is about giving me what is good for me and taking away what is good for me so I can glorify God. Being selfless, not selfish. And, and Jonathan, let's just go down to Matthew nineteen twelve. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. And again, so it's interesting. Jesus doesn't directly talk about homosexuality, but these are the words of Jesus. And he's talking directly about sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. There was many things Jesus didn't talk about. He didn't talk about incest, uh, witchcraft, bestiality, and other things like that. But they are covered in other parts of Scripture. Right. And that's the reason he didn't talk about them. Because they were in the moral code that he was upholding. He didn't need to talk about them. He needed to lay out the groundwork for those who would follow him about living higher. You know, just one, one quick thing about, about orientation. Uh, you know, a lot of... There, there's... There are many who, who you look at and say, wow, they are wired this way or that way. And I really believe that's true. But I think orientation in this day, in this country, at this time, also is chosen. It is chosen. You say, well, you know, wh- why do you say that? Let me give you an example. It's, it's a completely dis- example outside of sexuality. But, you know, Jonathan, you're a, you're a, you, you like sports. Oh, yeah. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And I'm a New York Yankees and a New York Giants fan. How did I become a New York Yankees fan? It happened through my youth, and I, I can't pinpoint the moment or the time, but I will tell you this. I love the Yankees, and I dislike the Boston Red Sox. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. To, <laughs> but, but listen, to this day, it is instinctive for me when I check the scores to see if the Yankees won first and if the Red Sox lost second. <laughs> now, why is that? Because it was, it, was, it was somehow or other conditioned into me by what my, maybe what my dad said, by the things I read, whatever it was. But it, it is a part of me. And you ask my family. It is a part of me. And, by the, and if our sports fandom can be such a part of us. Which it is. And it is. And you, you listen to talk, uh, sports talk, and you hear people, they're rabid fans. Oh, yeah. And they can't change. They can't change. You can't tell somebody, okay, you know. Switch we, teams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I've, I've tried that with other people. I don't let people try that with me. But I've tried it with other people. But see, the point is that because of that, it's, it's very sensible for me to, to look at this and say, we are teaching our children that sexuality is a choice. And it really, really, truly should not be, because sexuality is sacred before God, especially if you're a Christian. Dave, any final thoughts on that, because we need to wrap this segment up? No, I'm good. <laughs> so, so, folks, as we look at this, in our last segment, we're going to really spend the entire segment on the practicality of all of this. And where should we go? What if you're a Christian? And how do you deal with these things? And, and what's important? What's not important? How do you stand? How do you be not offensive but be Christian in your stance on dealing with such an important part of our present society? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Stein, our subject... The gay marriage law, how do we respond? Coming up, so what does God expect? What does Jesus expect from us, be we gay or straight? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Questions. 
Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, David Stein, and our subject, the gay marriage law, how do we respond? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now and our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And as we go into our final segment, David, we, we've gone through most of the scriptures that, that are, are uh, in question, if you will, in terms of interpretation. And hopefully we've, we've laid them out in a contextual way to see that God does have very specific standards about behavior. It's not about orientation. It's about behavior. Now, having said that, let's look at the principles of the life of Jesus because that is a great, great place where we are obligated to make our stance. So let's go back to that For the Bible Tells Me So documentary, most of which we have disagreed with, okay, respectfully, but let's just hear what they say about the principles of Jesus. My theological belief is that all loving relationships are honored by God. I do not believe that the Bible speaks against loving, committed, homosexual relationships. The core principle of the Bible is about love, is about the human condition. It is about inclusion. It's about justice for all people, not just some people. We are never to be exclusive. God's world is always inclusive. Jesus, he always embraced the outcast. So how a church can make someone an outcast and call themselves Christian doesn't make any sense. He loves everybody just the way they are. Exactly. All right, David, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And part of it, you know, Jesus did embrace the outcast. Jesus went to the outcasts. And and Zacchaeus was an outcast. Jesus sought him out. I mean, there's a beauty in Jesus seeking the outcasts. But what about the statement, all loving relationships are honored by God? Well, there's a little bit of confusion here between the the category of loving relationships and the category of sexual relationships. In the category of sexual relationships, God has bounds. But in the category of loving relationships, yeah, there's no bounds. Let let me just give an example. I've had uh, uh, associates and acquaintances that I've known through the years that are gay. I haven't had any real real intimate uh, discussions uh, with gay people about, uh, about this, so I don't quite have the experience you have. But uh, if, a, if a gay acquaintance came to me and said, hey, I, I need help moving from my apartment to over here t- tomorrow. Could you help? Absolutely. I would lay my life down for them. However, if he invited me to his gay wedding, I couldn't go. It would be a compromise of the biblical position that I hold. I would be endorsing that which I believe is not taught in Scripture if I went. But would I be available to help him or her or whoever at any time? Absolutely. As a Christian, I have to love all mankind, just as John 3.16 says of God, that he loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. So, and, and, you know, and, and that's actually been part of my personal experience. I mentioned earlier in the program we have experience with several members of our family, especially, specifically on Trisha's side, that are, that are gay. And we've had great experience with most. However, there was a, a situation several years ago, a few years ago, uh, of a gay wedding that we could not go to. And that, the reaction to that from the, from the few, not from the, the, the majority, but from the few, was vicious and decisive. And we were cut off and cut out and thrown away because of that. 
And that breaks my heart because it wasn't a matter. I wasn't trying to reject nor my wife, Trish, because it was really on her. It's her side of the family. She wasn't trying to reject anyone. She was simply standing and saying, no, I can't do that. But it does not get in the way of our relationship. Well, it did from from their their side and and there was a there was a christianophobia that was brought to us that was very difficult to deal with and still is to this day and we as christians need to understand that look people are people and if they're not following after christ and they're going by the rules and the and the laws of the land we need to live and let live we need to be respectful and loving and kind as jesus was yeah and rick i think that's the difference between tolerating a situation and embracing a situation the the supreme court made their decision it's the law of the land now okay it's the land from a personal perspective i don't care that's what the world does that's what they do i can tolerate that even if i don't like it because that's the law of the land. But now, am I going to embrace it? And this is where I think some of the homosexual community cross the line. Wanting tolerance is one thing. I agree. They should be treated as human beings. They should tr- be treated justly. They should, they should have respect as human beings. But now, if you're asking me to embrace something which is based upon a principle I know not taught on Scripture, I can't do that. And it will lead to persecution. Second uh, Timothy three twelve. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer per- persecution. Okay, so you know, and, and that's just, that's an important part of this. We need to be able to stand, but but by standing for something doesn't mean you step on anybody. That's the point of Christianity. That's the point. You don't. You live and you let live. They're in the world. That's okay. Be respectful. Be honoring. Be show your Christianity. Now, the question is, there, there's several things here that, that we need to go on. We need to go into where's the line, okay, but we'll get to that in a minute. But let's just talk for a minute about what if you have somebody who is gay and, and comes to you and they want to be a follower of Christ. What do you do? What do you tell them? How do you act? Let's start with a couple of scriptures regarding the price of discipleship. Luke nine twenty three and 24. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So one of the things I would do if someone came to me, you know, gay orientation and so forth and so on, they said, Rick, you know, I really feel a call to follow Christ. I'm gay. What do I do? I think that's one of the first scriptures I would go to. And I would ask the question, do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? Do you want to follow Jesus' footsteps? And if somebody is truly you know, desirous of following Jesus, I'm sure the, the answers would be affirmative. I say, okay, let's go to these scriptures now. Let's look at what is required of us to step up higher to the level of true Christian behavior. Another scripture, Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, straight or difficult is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life in following after Christ. That's what that's about. And you go to that and say, are you willing to walk that narrow, difficult way? And then it comes down to applying the scriptures that says all of these things some of you were. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and Paul says that they got away from that. It all comes down to a matter of choice. 
if we want to choose to serve God, then we must align our lives and be obedient to the laws that, that, that he set down. If we don't, it's, it's really idolatry. We were talking earlier right. about sexual uh, immorality being idolatry. And it is uh, in the sense that you are now being obedient to your passions. Your passions want, I want to do this, I want to do that. So you're, you're making your passions your God. And that's why we put sexual Im- immorality under the general heading of, of uh, idolatry. Right, exactly. And, and so, so when you're looking at that and you say, okay, but it's easy for me to say. And, you know, Jonathan and David and I, you know, we're all in the same category. We are all happily married heterosexual men. It's easy for us to sit here and say, well, look, there's certain things you're going to have to give up. It's easy because we don't know that particular feeling. But by the same token, what have we given up in our own lives to follow Christ? How is our life different than it would have been? I can tell you, for me, my life is way different in what I do, what I think, and how I spend my time. And that's between me and God. Uh, but when you, when you have somebody like that, now you've got the problem, okay, you're leaving them with a void in their life. If they have a gay orientation, they want to follow Christ, there's a void in their life. What do you do? You seek to fill that void with fellowship, with family, and with kind of adopting them into part. And that was my personal experience several years ago with that brother. We had, we had, we had adopted him to be part of our family. And he just, he, just, he just walked away eventually. But that's how we need to help fill the gap. And by God's grace... And God's strength, somebody can rise up to that kind of level. Folks, if you have a thought now, well, maybe not. <laughs> Email us, okay? Rick at ChristianQuestions.com. Uh, David, let's talk about the line. Uh, let's talk about drawing a line. And, and just very quickly, um, want to touch on <clears throat> the, the, the gay community and what the gay community has come to stand for. Because I think this is something a lot of people don't realize. You know, it's typically called the LGBT community, lesbian, gay uh, bisexual, transsexual community, okay? But I don't know, folks, if you realize it, but that community has spread out and gotten bigger and wider and wider. I'm looking at, this is from, it's pronounced metrosexual.com, 2013. The LGBTQIAA plus community. Now, what does that stand for? In any combination of letters attempting to represent all the identities in the queer community, this near exhaustive one, but not exhaustive, represents lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, transgender, transsexual, queer, questioning, intersex, intergender, asexual, and ally. Wow. Well, and here's the thing. There is a very, very blurred line. As a result, the gay community is not just about gay rights. It's about sexual freedom for everybody. Is there a problem with that? Well, there is a, pro- a problem with that. Freedom is, is only given to us in the context of certain constraints. In other words, you maximize your freedom by having certain standards of behavior. If you go beyond that, now you're stepping on the freedoms of others. You're causing problems, say, within the family or personally or ultimately within your, your, uh, your society. So where do you draw the line? See, that's the thing. We have the advantage of scriptures from above that tell us where to draw a line. In this type of community, there is no line necessarily that's, that's, that's set in stone. I mean, how do you feel about polygamy? Well, there's already cases coming before local courts to say, okay, you know, I have a right to marry this, these two or three women. What's next? 
What's next? What could be possibly next? You could have now, you could have somebody, a 50-year-old, who's in love with three 16-year-olds. What's to say that because they're all consenting and the 15 or 16-year-old girl has a right to control her body, her parents don't need to know if she gets an abortion, incidentally, that why not let them engage in their life because they love each other? What happens if someone wants to marry a pet? What happens? See, and again, you say, okay, those, are, those things might be ridiculous. Folks, they're ridiculous in your mind with your line. Where does the line get drawn? Any, any response on that, David? Well, you illustrated something, I think, very important, that when you take away the standards, you open the floodgates. Yes. And what happens beyond that? Who can tell? I mean, it, it, uh, Jonathan talked about marrying a pet. We saw another article here recently about robot-human marriage because they're developing these more sophisticated robots. And, of course, the sexual industry, uh, the porn industry is very interested in that. Where do you draw the line? Well, if you have a standard, then the line is drawn for you and you're protected. When you don't have a standard... The floodgates are let loose, and it will just bring society down lower and lower and lower. So in the world in which we live, folks, you know, our, our stand is we stand by Scripture, but we live and we let live. For those who don't want to believe in Scripture, it's okay because their opportunity comes. Dave, we have like 40 seconds left. Give us your, 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 your final thoughts. Well, I think two things, uh, very important things from this. Number one, we are not judging those individuals that are of the gay persuasion. We stand for the biblical principle that uh, sexual morality is what's taught there and, and homosexual morality is not taught. Homosexual Christians are not taught. Very different. We've gone through the scriptures. Uh, and secondly, there is hope for everybody. We are not condemning to uh, eternal torment those that don't carry on what we think they should or what the Bible teaches that they should now. This is the letter written for Christians today. Christ died for all, and all will have an opportunity to clean their lives up in the kingdom. And all will have the opportunity in an environment where righteousness reigns and sin has to be chosen. That's the difference. Right now, now sin reigns and righteousness has to be chosen and sought after. So folks, look, this is a tough subject. It's a very important subject. And if you're a Christian, you need to know, A, what the scriptures truly teach. B, how to be Christ-like in dealing with what the scriptures truly teach. Because if you get what the scriptures teach and you put away Christ-likeness, you have missed the entire point. We need to be tolerant and loving and caring and firm when necessary, but not to the point of stepping on others. If someone's a, a, a gay Christian, you say step up higher to a higher level. Otherwise, you live and let live. God does have it in control. God knows. He's always known and always will know. For Jonathan, Rick, and David and Christian Questions, thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week with another subject. But till then, think about it.